Hi, and welcome to All Things Cozy with Matt and Jillian. We are a bi-weekly podcast about everything warm, soft, and comforting. Today, we're firing up the oven and cooking the granddaddy of all cozy foods, the casserole. Although this easy-to-make dish has declined in popularity over time, it remains a beloved fixture in many homes due to its convenience, comforting flavors, and humbleness. So in honor of this workhorse dish, we love our workhorses here at All Things Cozy, Yep, we're taking a look back at the casserole's rise to fame and its place in the kitchen today. We've also made four recipes to review, so brace yourself for that. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, yeah. But before we dive into the casserole dish, let's check in with what's making us feel cozy this week. Jillian, what's making me feel cozy this week is the unbeatable squirrel girl. Hmm. <laughs> Jillian doesn't know how to respond to that. I love squirrels. <laughs> so do I. Who doesn't love a squirrel? And Squirrel Girl is a Marvel comic series written by Ryan North um, with art by Erica Henderson and color by Rico Renzi. And it started in 2015. It's still going today. And the premise for the comic is that Squirrel Girl can talk to squirrels <laughs> And she also has the proportional strength of a squirrel <laughs> Wait, so in terms she can, of agility and, and strength. So she can jump on branches and yeah, she can jump really high and she can punch really hard, which I guess squirrels can do. I'm not quite sure. I didn't but know. There you go. Listen, don't think too hard about it. It's a very comical series. It's very tongue in cheek. It's really cute and funny. And it's just been a great escape. Very cute and inventive. And I mean, I think it's won some awards for being like a teen comic and it definitely has that kind of like voice in terms of approaching young people and kind of trying to find your place in the universe as Squirrel Girl is trying to balance her studies at college with defeating Galactus, Devourer of Worlds. So there's this like, it's just that kind of like high and low thing where she's like, yeah, she's actually a, a super fighting superhero. But she's a college student, and her super superpower is kind of silly, right? But also really good. My favorite thing she can do is assemble an army of squirrels to create a squirrel suit. So it's like a, a whirling mass oh, wow. of squirrels all over her body that, like, somehow gives her a ton of power. But they realize later that, like, it's actually just her power with the squirrels on top of it. Somebody else tries to take on the squirrel suit and they realize it's just a bunch of squirrels. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it, it's that kind of silliness. They have a lot of inside jokes or a little tongue and cheek jokes on every single page at the bottom of the comic. And it's kind of meta in that sense. Oh, it does sound really unique and squirrels are so zany. So that makes it fun. I think I just love squirrels are so silly. My mom's friend's dad, after he got divorced, he, befriended a squirrel named a Pepito and it lived with him. So I think squirrels make good companions. They do. And they also make excellent crime fighters. So if you like comics, um, if you need kind of a, a brain break, uh, highly recommend checking out Marvel's The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl. Well, that's a good wreck. Didn't see it coming, but I, I, I'm interested. <laughs> they never expect the squirrel girl. <laughs> and her squirrel suit. Jillian, what's making you feel cozy? Well, I been trying to take more walks even though it's a little hard right now to be safe and social distancing so I look forward to my walk every day you know it can be a little stressful and what I've noticed recently is it's jacaranda season so there are these special flowers they're indigenous to South America they're this beautiful combination of violet blue and they're 
clusters of flowers and there's all these trees around Los Angeles. I'm not sure if any other cities have them in the U.S., but here um, they bloom in late May or early June. And that's great because there's a lot of gloomy days during this time. And so to see the juxtaposition of the purple and blue clusters against the gray skies is just so beautiful and really calming. So I usually go around like maybe like six or seven o'clock and it's just nice to walk around and see these beautiful trees and I never really noticed before but now that I have the time to take a look since now walks are an actual activity of my my life like I actually look forward to the walks yeah, you can stop and smell the flowers finally literally yeah um so it's it's been nice there's lovely flowers and if you're familiar with with them you probably know what I'm talking about um, a bunch of writers have been inspired and written about them. And um, yeah, they're just really lovely. It's, they're, they're all over the place right now. They're just really calming to see. It's a, it's a beautiful image walking down the sidewalk and having something beautiful to look at is nice, especially in LA where there's not a lot of flowers. It's more like cacti, which I, which I love, and, but it can be a little sparse. So oh, there's a ton of flowers. There's a, a, a lot of blooming wildflowers in California. Not in my neighborhood, I guess. <laughs> oh, they've been all over ours. Yeah, so I think over your neighborhood. So that's been really nice nice for me to see and like a calming thing to look forward to. I'll be sad when they're gone. Yeah, they're really beautiful. We have a whole um, jacaranda line street where we live, and it's just really pretty. It's so beautiful and purple. Yeah, and there's something special when it's only for a short period of time and it's specific to LA it seems spring has sprung for sure it really feels like it when you see blooms like that yeah and I'm looking forward to more gloomy days hopefully June is full of gloom glooms and blooms yeah glooms and blooms Jillian you know what else is blooming our interest in casseroles (laughs) Jillian and I have both been cooking more as we've been cooped up I realized a lot of them are ending up being casseroles this really cozy category of food. Yeah. And I was really interested to tackle this topic because I didn't really grow up eating a lot of casseroles. And I think my mom was scarred from when her mom made this like tuna casserole that she always brings up whenever I mention uh, casseroles, are we going to try out some casseroles? So I think because of that experience, she didn't make a lot of casseroles for me growing up. And so I really haven't had a lot and I was super excited to try out a few recipes. And I'm not sure if they're more popular in the Midwest or maybe because I don't really, I don't remember growing up around casseroles or what would you say, Matt? I mean, they're really popular in the Midwest. Like they were a part of my everyday life. And I think it's a similar thing to what you're describing where I think maybe where your mother was scarred by casseroles, my mother was comforted by them. (laughs) So they were carried forward. You know, it's just so convenient. And in terms of getting together with your family, like what's better than mixing a bunch of stuff up, putting it in a dish, baking it in the same dish that you practically prepare it in, and then bringing that same dish to serve it out of. And then if there's any leftovers, bring it back home to eat the rest. It's like, it's such a convenient food type and also like just the way you make it. I can see why that kind of efficiency and as efficiency in home cooking was really on the rise in like the mid to late fifties. I can see why that caught on. And then maybe people got emotionally attached to some of those foods. So yeah. So for me, they were like all over the place and I feel like there's not a casserole I haven't had. (laughs) Yeah. I'm definitely a convert after trying out a few recipes myself. 
And I noticed that one of the best things about casseroles, and we'll dive into it deeper in our discussion, but the leftovers. That's the oh yeah. That's the biggest. Like now, I'm gonna have leftovers from my casserole they made last night, and that's so comforting to know that I don't have to cook. Right. No, you're fed for days. I think that's a huge part of it, right? Especially if you are cooking for a family, it's just way more convenient. Yeah, for sure. It's a really flexible dish too, because pretty much any combination of a protein, a starch, a veggie, some sauce or cheese is under the casserole umbrella. So there's actually a wide range of options where you can go in terms of casserole. And there's been a lot of reinvention in the genre, but there are also those uh, tried and true favorites. Yeah, someone described it as the casserole being equivalent to a blank canvas. And I think that's very appropriate because you can make it your own with whatever three ingredients you have. Like you said, the starch, the protein, the veggie. The casserole is the highest form of art. And (laughs) I will fight anyone who disagrees with me. If there's reserves, respect. So let's dive into the history of casserole. So Julian, drop some knowledge on us. How did this all start? Okay, so I joked to Matt before that I, I wrote up a little history on the casseroles and it it reads to me like a middle school essay why I'm like I'm campaigning for the casserole. No, this is <laughs> if if anyone from Mental Floss is listening, Jillian is your new hire here because we we dove deeply into <laughs> we really did. A, a lot of facts about casseroles. So I mean, John Green, eat your heart out. Okay, well here we go. So for context, the casserole is of French origin, translating to saucepan. The French word of casserole can be traced back to the old provincial word casa and the medieval Latin word katia, both of these words meaning ladle, according to Foodie's Companion. Ooh la la. Ooh. Before the casserole (laughs) made its way to America, cooks in 18th century England made the dish by molding rice into the shape of a casserole cooking pot and filling it with a savory mixture per the diner's dictionary, which sounds actually really good. That does sound excellent. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I just love putting some savory mixture on some rice and gobbling it up. Yeah. Well, I've not been unknown to just eat a bucket of rice, so I'm already sold. So good. As for how casseroles evolved into the dish we love today, the answer is a bit muddled, especially where it concerns its inventor. An investigation by the Seattle Times proved that a New Hampshire woman and French-Canadian immigrant, Elmire Jolicoeur, did not invent the casserole in 1866, as previously thought. I'm not sure why, how that came to be. The Seattle Times really didn't seem like they could nail it down, but um, she was believed to invent the modern casseroles, but that proved not to be true. But what we wow, do know, a fraud. <laughs> I think that it's not her fault that just some way down the line stories got told. I'm sure she made one at one point and somehow she became the modern inventor. But what we do know is that casseroles made up of meat, vegetables and a starchy binder found its home in America in the late 1800s and really picked up steam in the late 19th century during times of hardship like the Great Depression. However, the casserole's true crowning moment arrived in the 1950s when families were introduced to the concept of convenience via magazines geared toward housewives navigating a post-war era. The invention of lightweight glassware sped up the trend, as well as the popularized methods of canning and freezing. Then came Dorcas Riley's famous green bean bake, a.k.a. the mother of all comfort foods, which she invented while working at Campbell's Soup. She went on to create the tuna noodle casserole to name one of her many culinary delights. So My mom makes a mean tuna noodle casserole. Did she get it from Dorcas? <laughs> she probably did. I mean, it's really fun to think about how the majority of our casserole recipes are 
from Campbell's soup cans. So <laughs> the ones that we use in our family. So probably Dorcas has fed our family for generations. Yeah, you have her to thank. I mean, from my research, it really blew up thanks to Campbell's and Dorcas is a recipe. So thank you, Dorcas. You can't beat opening up some cans and throwing the contents in some, into some lightweight glassware. Super <laughs> convenient. The technology. But Matt, not everyone was thrilled about the casserole's popularity. Boo. In 1954, a writer for the Tuscaloosa News wrote an intentionally hilarious screed slamming the dish and woman, uh, stating, Boo. by nature, a woman is indirect, subtle, imaginative, imaginative, escapist, and coy. A woman is never more coy than when she has cooked a cozy casserole. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, he kind of gives his crazy theory <laughs> he says casseroles symbolize a woman's reluctance to face the fact that yesterday's roast beef or chicken or lobster or veal or tuna fish, he lists everything, is still yesterday's roast beef, etc. Now defrocked, sliced up, and hidden like a poor relative under a melange of whipped potatoes, noodles, or rice. So, Are you kidding me? This, <laughs> this guy is like that guy in a college class. I... You know, I would hope it would, he was maybe going for like an, an onion kind of thing. Like <laughs> he was no. doing a parody, but since it was written 1954, I don't believe so. What I find hilarious is that he's thinking way too much about it. <laughs> I don't think that anyone is thinking that a casserole is someone's attempt to hide old food. It, right. it, that, that's the point of it. It's It's to use leftovers or just use things that you have around the house and you know, make a meal out of basic ingredients. It's not some, I don't know, some ploy or whatever, but. So I hope it's funny. a satire, but this guy's a clown <laughs> if not. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't, I guess, you know, women just can't help themselves from being coy and the casserole's the vehicle to do it, I suppose. So sadly for this fed up writer, the casserole continued its reign until the late 1970s, a period when the dish was criticized for not being sophisticated enough. Uh, what's more, Americans began to drift away from an over-reliance on canned goods and quick fixes during this time. So there's that big boon in the 1950s where everyone just wanted to have things be convenient, fast, and easy. I think that's the kind of the cool trend since it's so new, you know, especially with the new dishware and all that. But by the 1970s, people are starting to drift away from that, and I think it lost its luster. And like many tr food trends before it, Gelatin mold, we're looking at you. The casserole <laughs> was seemingly banished from the kitchen for good. Yeah, well, I mean, you look at today's foodie landscape, and it's very organic and fresh and farm-to-table. You know, where's the farm-to-table calculus in a can of green beans? You know what I mean? So I feel like I can see why people kind of turn up their noses at the casserole, but I think it's unfortunate. Yeah, well... As uh, we've come to see today, casserole is having a bit of a renaissance. So now all the diehard casserole fans out there, you're in luck because it's really enjoyed a renaissance. There's been so many essays titled In Defense of the Casserole. If you Google that phrase, you'll see a ton of articles every single year with the same title. So people are really campaigning for the casserole to come back. And foodies have also reimagined traditional recipes to be more healthy as Bon Appetit highlighted in its article, three revamped casserole recipes that prove they're cool again. <laughs> so there is a major campaign. You're definitely cool when you have 
dozens of articles arguing that you're cool. <laughs> I know. I want to meet the Castrol's publicist. Definitely not a risk at that point that you're not cool. <laughs> uh, despite these modifications and the apparent campaign to make Castrol's cool again, the song largely remains the same with this cozy dish. All you need for the perfect casserole is a filling starch, a vegetable of your preference, and an easy protein. Simple, comforting, and always delicious. It's time the casserole is awarded some respect. Yeah, well, I feel like people kind of have this elitist attitude toward food sometimes, and I think that stinks. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It does stink. I mean, I definitely had some preconceived notions about casseroles, and like I said, I didn't grow up eating them, so I didn't know what to expect. I did come to some conclusion, though, making the, the casseroles that they're very similar to the rise in bowls. Yeah. So it's basically, I think bowls now, and when I'm talking about bowls, it's, you know, you, you go anywhere, you can get a enchilada, not enchilada bowl, a burrito bowl or what have you. And that's very similar mm. to the casserole, I think, minus the baking camp component. Yeah, it seems maybe the maybe it's the fresh component that make bowls more attractive to today's eater. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like, you're still just putting a bunch of different ingredients yeah. to keeping it together. But the casserole... I think it's more cozy, just it's more filling. It's typically warm. And that's that's the its strength, I believe. And there's something about it that like it's meant to feed multiple people. So there's sort of an underlying theme of community with casseroles, like this idea that it's for sharing. And I think that's really cozy. Yeah, definitely. If people, you know, bring it over when you're having a tough time, like that's a go-to meal. They're so easy to reheat and what what have you. Exactly. You don't have to think about it. It's just there for you. Casserole yeah. is there for you. <laughs> they should hire us as a pu- casserole publicist. Campbell's? Yeah. So after mental floss is done, we're going to get Campbell's on the line. Oh, yeah. To really adventure into the casserole country. I don't know why I have to make everything alliterative. I'm sorry. Um, I liked it. <laughs> thanks, Jillian. We each tried casserole recipes that were either familiar with us. I think in my case, I I chose ones that were very much like a part of my family. And I think, Jillian, did you do that too? Or did you try some new ones? I tried completely new ones just because I have no frame of reference. So I just went went into it, you know, try new things and blank canvas over here. All right. So that's great. So we have a balance of new and old. For my casseroles, I'm going to dive into one of the ones that I made last week. And it actually was new to me, but it is a family recipe um, in my husband's family. And it's something that he grew up with and is always raving about. And I actually never tried. I think because oftentimes, you know, these things are often made with meat. Mm. And as vegetarians, when you're going over to a family member's house, those things get cut off the menu. Um, But it is easy to actually make a vegetarian version of that, which is what we did. So... That casserole that his family loved is called company casserole. Company casserole comes from a 1958 good housekeeping cookbook. And so it kind of gets into that theme again, right? Of like, while we have this new glassware, like let's get some Kansas stuff into it and (laughs) chow down. It actually, in in terms of like, it's like basic makeup. It is uh, a mix of beef, noodles, and cheese. That's that's it. Okay. (laughs) You got the basics there, right? And that actually was very similar to a casserole that my family often made, which was called Johnny Marzetti. Johnny Marzetti had more of an Italian flair because you include Italian sausage. 
um, and tomato sauce with green peppers. And so there's like a little more of like a bell pepper presence in the Johnny Marzetti. Also, like your pasta may vary. So like I feel like we made our Johnny Marzetti with rotini noodles. The company casserole recipe that um, my husband family uh, shared with us is wide noodles. My vegetarian version from my mother-in-law's recipe goes like this. Okay, so first you take your noodles, your, your, your wide pasta noodles, and you cook them al dente. Okay. So while your pasta is going, you butter a skillet and you brown veggie beef crumbles. So I use Morningstar. And again, I really highly recommend vegetarianizing the ground beef in recipes like this. Because I don't think, once you put ground beef into a recipe like this, it really is not, in my, in my humble opinion, that much different from like a soy replacement. Because you get this, a very similar texture and a very similar flavor. Yeah, I'm laughing because I, Alonzo and Dave, they commented when we announced our casserole episode, they said, I hope you have having a, a meat eater on, on the show and... Sorry to say, no. we're full steam ahead with our veggie beef crumbles. <laughs> you can throw in your cow meat if you wish, Dave and Alonzo, but we will be veggie over here with our beef crumbles. I think it's great. And then, and it's also, you, you can't cook it wrong. That's true. <laughs> you just, you really you're just can't. heating it up. So you add your garlic powder and your pepper and salt. And then this is what kind of threw me for a loop the first time is like a can of tomato soup. You just put that can of tomato soup in there. It's condensed. It's in there. Okay. Sounds like and a it's, lot. It's in. It's not though. It's really fast. Like you just imagine you just like throw your packet of Morning Star, put some spices oh, on no, it. No, I mean like the throw a can of tomato can. soup. It's a lot of soup. No, it's in one of the little ones. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. You're not putting like the jumbo size ones in. Just Got like your it. little can of soup, like the, your basic can of condensed soup. And then in a separate bowl, all right. Now that your pasta is done, you take that out. Um, you obviously you've rinsed that. You. Mix your pasta with, um, okay, so the original recipe called for sour cream, um, but we replaced that with Greek yogurt. Okay. It's a good swap. Yeah, I, I don't really feel like there's that much of a flavor difference, personally, and it's a lot healthier. So we do Greek yogurt, cottage cheese with the noodles, mix it up with chopped green onions. So that's kind of like your creamy starch mixture, all right? And then you layer that in. And you top that with your, your quote-unquote beef tomato mixture. And then you layer that until you're done, right? One, one after the other. And you top with fresh shredded uh, sharp cheddar cheese. Or not sharp. Or, or not, not fresh. Whatever. Whatever you have on hand. I, I took a block to my shredder. <laughs> I felt like a real Martha Stewart. And then you bake it at 350 degrees for 30 minutes. And voila, you have a company casserole. You're ready for company. That sounds so easy and delicious. I'm definitely going to try this. I loved it so much. It really took me back to flavors I have not had in a long time. It felt like, and I mean this in like the best way possible, but like it felt like dinner at a friend's house. You know, when you go over to like, maybe it's not even a friend you know that well and their house kind of smells like onions or something. <laughs> and then, you know, they go for dinner and they kind of slap down this casserole that's like, I don't know what's in here, but it's delicious, but it kind of, sm it kind of tastes like your house smells. That's <laughs> well, I know that sounds that, that's kind of what this casserole was but like. It really good. Cause I now I've been cooking a lot of onions this week, and when you saute onions, it's actually a really good smell. Yeah, I mean it, it's, it's it's homey. Very, it's very homey. This is to me like the epitome of home cooking. It's very home cooking flavor. It has like that umami flavor to it. 
I really enjoyed that. It was delicious. Um, and just for the record, my my in laws' house does not smell <laughs> bad at all. It's very they're very clean. <laughs> they don't does not smell like this casserole. Um, <laughs> but FYI. Um, FYI, just just you know, heads up. But I really just felt like this had that kind of like I'm a kid again eating something that's just decadent. I love it. Yeah, that. I'll definitely be making this. It sounds so good and really easy. My recipes a little more, more involved, which I don't think the casserole should be. I think it should be like this. It should be a few ingredients, very easy to prepare. Just pour all that stuff in and just heat it up and you're done. Yeah, well, so, so dive into one of your recipes, Jillian. What did you try to make? So I made, give me some ovens. Uh, the chef's name is Ali Martin. The best green bean casserole. So I really wanted to try a casserole with green beans because when I was researching the casserole, green beans came up over and over and over again. I don't know if that's something similar that you noticed, Matt, or a lot of people are eating green bean casseroles. Well, I mean, I make that every year for Thanksgiving. So there you go. So I wanted to do one of the most popular casseroles and I was looking around for different recipes and like you, how you switched out sour cream for Greek yogurt, I wanted to think it's like a little bit healthier because I just, I cannot put the, the can of mushroom soup in. I, I just, I just, for some reason, I just can't. So I found. (laughs) (laughs) I've never not just done it again, the way that they tell you to do it on the Campbell soup can. You just, listen, you can't think about it. You just throw the cream of mushroom soup in. You you just look away. You you forget that it's there. You throw your your cans of green beans in. You you put some French onions on it and you call it a day. No, that, you know, I learned, I learned my lesson. I really did. Um, But this recipe was Good. So I wanted to do a little tribute to Dorcas, her recipe in 9055, but it's a little bit lightened up. So the first thing you want to do is boil your green beans for three to five minutes and then put them in ice water so they stop cooking. And that gives you time to prepare your other mixtures. Then you're going to saute some red onions with butter until they're soft, not soggy. Remove your onions and transfer your panko breadcrumbs in a pan with butter. You want to stir until they're golden brown. So it's going to be the top layer. Then you're going to mix in some Parmesan cheese, salt, and pepper, and then mix it in with your onions. So now it's like an onion, breadcrumb, Parmesan cheese mixture, and that's going to be the top layer over your green beans. But you also have to make your, your, uh, that was that creamy base. That would be the can of mushroom soup. But instead of just putting in a soup can, you're going to saute the mushrooms yourself with a lot of garlic. My back already hurts. <laughs> oh, yeah, Matt. <laughs> so many steps. <laughs> there were a lot of steps, which I, you know, I think if I was more seasoned in the kitchen, I've mentioned this multiple times before, I cannot cut. So cutting an onion takes me at least like 20 plus minutes of, and I do it so zanily. Like I know that I'm doing it zany. I know that. You got to get yourself like a, a pampered chef, like chopper or something, you know, like one of those like. <laughs> Or yeah. a food processor or like something just to do the chopping for you. Yeah, because I have, most I have of a it chopper. You just like bang the top of it and it like dices things for you in two seconds. No, that's definitely what I should have done. So <laughs> going back to the mushrooms, after you saute your mushrooms with garlic, you want to add some flour to it and then mix in the flour until it's soaked up. And you add your milk. Now, here's where I went wrong. I forgot to get actual milk and all I had on hand was almond milk. Now, for those who aren't familiar, almond milk is a very watery, thin consistency. 
So that's where I went left. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, you you um you add your vegetable stock and your Parmesan cheese, and that's actually a despite it being watery and runny because of my almond milk mistake, it tasted like a really good dressing. It was very flavorful, and it's and it, I would if I I will make this again, but with actual milk. So it is creamy and thick, which I think is a very important component of the casserole. I sent a picture to Matt and he's like, it looks very dry. And then underneath it just looked like water at the bottom of the pan. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's just very separate, like oil and water. It's like the, 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 the liquid and the dry. It was like these two very distinct layers. Yeah. So then you're going to mix your mushroom, mushroom, your mix, your mushroom mix with the green greens and then transfer to a dish. The final step is adding your breadcrumb layer with all the onions on the top and then bake for 20 to 25 minutes. So let me just say, as separate parts, everything was good. I really enjoyed the flavorful onion breadcrumb layer. That was delicious. I like the kind of gravy-ish taste of Thanksgiving with the mushrooms and the vegetable stock and the Parmesan cheese. I thought that was a really good combination. Like I said, where I went left almond milk and also i only have one glass pan and it's a very small pan so i really stuffed it all in so i didn't get to i guess layer it that appropriately so it was just basically green beans with some breadcrumbs on top and some watery crap on the top. Well, well how did it taste like i said the the mushroom <laughs> mixture was 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 actually flavorful and it's like yeah. I could see that being a gravy. Now and even Jay said the mushrooms and the gravy flavor I think is really good. But when you just I, I I was always imagining casseroles to be a thick, creamy, like I don't know, but it, it was it wasn't like that. It was just watery. And I think that what really did go left was that almond milk. If I had just gotten the milk, maybe it would have been different. But can't go back in time. <laughs> I do appreciate your effort to kind of freshen up a green bean casserole. And I know that I think when we had Chef Kelly on, she was talking about that she does the same thing, like make it fresh. And mm -hmm. I'm sure that tastes great. And I bet if you went back to the drawing board a little bit, I bet there was even a milk substitute that would be maybe a little thicker that you could use. I, I would actually, if there are listeners who are aware of like what kind of milk alternatives are good with baking that kind of have a similar consistency to milk, if, if at all. Because I oftentimes, when I'm baking, I do use milk because I'm afraid of like it being like a failed chemistry experiment. Mm -hmm. And so I always use milk when it's called for. But I would like to know if there are ways I can avoid using milk um, and still have it kind of come out the same. So that's, a, that's an all call to our cozy listeners. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, you know, it sounds like you just need to make a couple tweaks and you might have something really great here. Yeah, like I said, it was a very flavorful dish. I think the the, the Parmesan cheese was really flavorful and good when you can when you combined with the breadcrumbs and the mushrooms and the vegetable stock. Like it was definitely a very savory dish, which I appreciated. And then with fresh green greens, it was yeah, it was it was delicious. I mean, I had it for leftovers. I just put it over rice, and that was actually a good combination. Just plopped that stuff right on top. Now of it's some a stir rice. fry. Look at that. There you <laughs> there go. There you go. <laughs> So, yeah, so, that's So my... flexible. <laughs> <laughs> Casseroles can do anything. They really can. So for the other recipe, I did not make this recently, but I went back into, I kind of looked at like a list of really popular casseroles. And I was like, which one of these like really resonate for me is like, this is a flavor or a dish rather that takes me home again. It's just, I, it's something mm -hmm. I really love. 
it clicked all of a sudden, like, oh, potatoes au gratin. Um, also known as cheesy scalloped potatoes. Gratin is a culinary technique where, like, you, um, you, you top whatever it is with a brown crust. So it's like this browning, right, on the top. Um, you can use breadcrumbs or cheese or egg or butter to do that. You often put, like, in, in a broiler to, like, do that kind of brown effect on top. So it's golden when it comes out of the oven. I loved when my mom used to make potatoes au gratin. It was just, like, always, like, my favorite, like, side and whatever was for dinner. It's also kind of pretty in its, like, potato cheesy way. Yeah, <laughs> it's like these, like, I think so. The shape of it is really pretty. It's these beautiful, like, scalp potatoes in, in rows with, like, cheese yeah. all over it. Like, you know, what, what can go wrong? But it's funny looking at, again, like, modern recipes for potatoes au gratin. They are kind of like upscaled now, kind of like your green bean casserole recipe. And they're so like fresh and they sound full of life and like it's a thing, you know. (laughs) And my mom's recipe, like the one that I really loved is like it is it's Dorcas quality. It's like, you know, it's cans of stuff. So here we go. My family, this is our approach to potatoes au gratin. So my mom likes to boil the potatoes first a little bit, not not too long, like 20 minutes it's really important not to overboil it because you do want it to have some structure and shape so you can layer it in that way. I think she does that just so it's easier to cut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like a faster to slice them all. So she lets that cool and slices the potatoes. But it's funny, I like looked at other recipes and like I don't think I saw a single one that called for that. <laughs> but that's, again, that's what my mom recommended. And then you, here, here it comes, Jillian, the cream of mushroom soup can. Oh boy. All right. And my mom puts this in everything, I'm realizing. Like, that's a that's obviously a staple of green bean casserole, but it's in the potatoes au gratin, too. So you can buy in a cream of mushroom soup can. All my all my casserole loves are basically soup. Um, well, she put it in any... Like, you're saying she puts it in everything, so... What, I just like it's funny that it keeps coming up. <laughs> well, what did she put it... Um, what other casseroles did she put it in? Well, green bean casserole. Okay, got it. And then um, you put uh, half a cup of milk, uh, half a cup of sour cream, fried onions, and then a half a cup of shredded cheese. And so that's kind of like your cheesy mixture, right? Mm-hmm. You lay the potatoes in that casserole dish, and then you pour over the mixture. And then she'll kind of gently mix that in into the, into the layer so they're kind of like covered with the cheese sauce. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you bake it at 350 for 30, and then you take it out. Um, and, uh, top with some remaining cheese. And then you put that into, you, uh, the broiler for another five minutes to get the brown top. Sounds like that final step is really what makes it. So that, that's our potatoes au gratin recipe. I haven't made this myself as an, in a, I think I made it once a long time ago, but, um, this is definitely something my mom likes to make and it's always delicious and it is, but it is, you know, it's that kind of like good housekeeping, 1958, uh, throw some soup <laughs> into some potatoes but it is very tasty it does don't sound think too really much tasty. about what's in it yeah well <laughs> i think that anything with potatoes are immediately delicious and then of course when you put cheese on it it's just it's a win what was your second casserole so i decided to try out a kugel and i wanted to try one for a very long time um just to i don't know pay homage to my ashkenazi ancestry and so kugels can be some some people might consider them to be like a pudding but most of what i've seen is that they're considered to be casseroles and they can either be savory or sweet but they always have the same staple ingredients starch base eggs and fat 
So oh, you, yeah, yeah. So you can play around with it. Um, some sweet variations have raisins and cinnamon, while savory versions include caramelized onions, garlic, and pepper. So I tried Savers magazines uh, savory. Ooh la la. Ooh, la. <laughs> so much, so I, much French. Today. So just <laughs> yeah, just a um, little bit behind the scenes. I watched a, a video of people trying to pronounce them, the magazines, how they pronounce their the name. <laughs> So came prepared. And so their version includes cottage cheese, sour cream, egg white noodles, caramelized onions, salt, pepper, eggs, and of course, lots of butter. So the first thing you want to do is whisk together your eggs, cottage cheese, sour cream, and butter. Little behind the scenes tidbit. I realized I forgot to buy the sour cream. So I was kind of panicking, you know, what, what do I do? Because I made it the day before the episode. And I learned something interesting is that if you have heavy whipping cream, which we happen to have, and you add lemon to it, it makes sour cream, which I didn't know. Is that what that is? I had no idea. And because I was just, I I only found out because I was panicking and I was looking at all like the milky kind of stuff I had or creamy stuff. And so I Googled, can heavy whipping cream be substituted for sour cream? And then I saw that if you put lots of lemon in it, because that gives it that tangy sour taste, and you let you let the heavy whipping cream sit with the lemon, it will thicken up, and it's pretty much just like sour cream. Greek yogurt also kind of, you know, that's a good substitute to have found for it. Oh, yeah. The definitely, uh, yeah, in the future, if I ever have Greek yogurt, I think that would be, I'd use that. But That's fascinating. I always thought sour cream came from a really grumpy cow. <laughs> I'm kidding, well, by the way. <laughs> I hope that's obvious. <laughs> oh, anyways, um, <laughs> you you whisk it all together, which is so easy and simple. You just put it aside. And here's now, basically, as you title this, where Jillian went left. I always go left somewhere. And whatever went left here is that I never trust myself cooking noodles al dente. I always cook it a little bit too much. And... I think that's a big thing of the casserole because you want to, when you bake the cupcake of the oven, you want to slice it almost like it's a cake, like it's a savory little cake. But if things are too soft, it's just going to fall apart. And that's what happened to me. But before we get to that, you drain the, the pasta, you fry up your caramelized onions, then you mix everything together and you bake for 35 to 40 minutes at 350 degrees. So it tasted good, you know, it's my first Kugel, and I didn't want you to, to do the sweet version because I just not into that all. You know, you know, sweet noodles for dinner are really not my thing. So I would make it again, but I think I would, I don't know, try and make the the noodles a little bit more like a little more dente, so it didn't fall apart. Because basically, at the end, what I had was almost just like a pasta, like a cheesy pasta, but I wanted it to be more thick. Yeah. So that was, Kugel's that was amazing. It still sounds delicious. You're making me want to try to make some Kugel. Yeah, it was, and I have so much leftovers, and it, it did taste really good, especially if you make it with a, a, a vegetable as a side to have. So I made it with carrots just to have a vegetable involved. That's a lot of a lot of eggs and a lot of creams, and it's just yeah. super heavy. But there are a lot of different Kugels, which I didn't realize. So you can even incorporate some veggies into the actual Kugel. 
there's just so many different ways to make it. It seems more it's based on family tradition, what families throughout generations, how they made their kugels, what kind of is the most popular. Um, there's one kugel recipe that's, you know, comes out on top. So definitely I'm a savory kugel fan, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to trying a sweet one one day, maybe. I've had some kind of like kugels that sort of land in the middle and those can be really tasty too. Yeah, I'll, I'll try it again. And I liked cooking with egg white noodles. I never really have that. So that was fun. And going back to your recipe at the company casserole, they used egg white noodles as well, right? Yes. Yeah. So it seems like it's a common theme for casseroles, no matter what kind it is. It really is funny just how much like any, whatever that starch is, like or noodle or pasta, like it really, in these casseroles, it's often not that important. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what I'm realizing. You can kind of mix it up. I mean, obviously like for some of them, like kugel or like lasagna, which is, you know, a low key casserole. It is a casserole for sure. You want a certain type of noodle that kind of is a hallmark of that. But you really could make it like, like basically baked. Like if you did, if you did lasagna, essentially like, Without the lasagna noodle, it's not so far off from like a baked pasta. Yeah. And I mean, that's what it, it is anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty much easy. It's just a bunch of, you know, mixing stuff. And I, I thought it was really good. I'll be interested to see how it tastes when it's microwaved. <laughs> or I guess I could put it back in the oven to heat it up. But um, I think the true test of a dish is how the leftovers taste. Yeah. And I think casseroles, like that's where they shine. Like everything I've made from the lasagna I made recently to this company casserole that always tasted better the next day. And I think that's like, mm-hmm. that's really important for a casserole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just lets those, those flavors sit. Soak up yeah. all the cheese and salt and pepper. Well, we hope we've revitalized interest in casseroles. <laughs> <laughs> and um, we encourage you to create your own dishes or share the ones that are near and dear to your heart. Like, listen, we're both in like a casserole mood right now so share your casseroles on our facebook group we're ready for them yeah no i i can't wait so before we leave the topic of casseroles julian i want to play a game it's called the casserole game and i just made it up okay <laughs> okay i want to prove how flexible the casserole as a genre is that you're going to choose random staples and we're going to see what casserole you end up with okay okie dokie so how this is going to work, you're going to pick a number one through six for five categories. And then once that's in, I'll let everyone know the casserole that Jillian invented with her random selection of numbers. You ready, Jillian? I'm ready. So for your protein, pick a number between one and six. Four. For your starch, pick a number between one and six. Two. For your veggies, number f- between one and six. Five. Sauce, a number between one and six. One. And your cheese, a number between one and six. Three. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. So your casserole is a beef pasta casserole with jalapenos oh. and cottage cheese, all in an Alfredo sauce. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that could work. I'm, I I'm intrigued know. by the jalapenos. I really don't like Alfredo sauce. I don't like creamy sauces. I like the the tomato sauces, but who knows? Maybe that could be really good. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll try it. That is the Walters casserole. It was invented <laughs> here on the All Things Cozy podcast. Um, I randomly rolled dice for mine since I knew what numbers each thing was. So here's the Matt casserole that was invented today. Uh, it's a tuna casserole with egg noodles and spinach, 
um, and cottage cheese and buffalo sauce. <laughs> That's really where it went off the rails. That really like, went off the rails. I was like, I, I was like oh, I kind of just reinvented tuna casserole, and then the you know the buffalo sauce appeared. So yeah, could so be interesting. I, I guess we could open our own diner. <laughs> the the random chance dishes where everything you eat was <laughs> randomly rolled back yeah. in the kitchen. Oh, all casseroles, we really cozy it up to them. Yeah, casseroles, they are just really a cozy, flexible, and humble dish. And I really, I, I've honestly just been enjoying, like, how easy they are. But they are, like, just a little difficult enough for me that I get to really focus on the task and feel like I'm being productive in, at night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm all for the leftovers. So I, I'm going to keep on experimenting with casseroles and try out, try out some new things. So now... Let's dive into some songs you can play to soothe you while you bake your casseroles. Jillian, what song is soothing you this week? So I actually went back in time. I've been really good with choosing relevant and new songs, but going with a throwback this time, Grant McLennan. Songs called In Your Bright Ray from 1997. And you might recognize his name because he co-founded The Go-Betweens. But he also made four different solo albums. And sadly, though, he died in May 2006 of a um, heart attack. But I became familiar with him. I was in my room one day, I think, packing to leave for Baltimore. And I heard this beautiful song from his other album, Horsebreaker Star, I think it's Call You Wild. And so I always go back to him when I'm feeling a little bit stressed or anxious because he has a, it's not the best voice and music critics have said that. He's not the best guitarist. He's not the best singer, but there's something about him where he has moments of brilliance and his song, his sorry, his voice is really comforting and he's actually a very good lyricist. He's, I would, he's like a poet of sorts. And um, his album where in your bright ray comes from it's of the same name and a music reviewer described the album as such it returns him to his more well-trodden ground and is as warm and soft as a cake out of the oven a just wash blanket and an eskimo coat which is a wow. very cozy way of describing it <laughs> so that should be in our that should be in our show description oh yeah i like i like the just wash blanket because if anyone's leaving a review soon well Tip take there. some, yeah. <laughs> take some, take take some inspiration. inspiration from that. So yeah, I mean, I, I I just love this song. It's really pretty. All right, so let's listen to "In Your Bright Ray" by Grant McLennan. I got sucked into that. Yeah. It's, I got it's, caught in my feelings. <laughs> well, it's very 90s, which I yeah. appreciate. No, definitely. I mean, this really sounds like 
a song I might have like stayed up all night listening to in high school. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I love him. I've been listening to his solo stuff all week. So something about his voice is super comforting. And I all like of his, his voice. I don't know why one's crapping on his voice. I think it sounds really authentic and raw. I, I really like how it gets straight to an emotion. I think it's very effective. Yeah, and all of his songs from this album are... It's like soft serve. It's easy listening. It's but beautiful, beautiful, poignant lyrics. And if you like this song, you would also like his song "Easy Come, Easy Go." Uh, that's a really another pretty one. So uh, yeah, it's sad that he died um, so early. I believe he was only in his forties, if I got that right. Um, he's from Australia. He's actually setting up a housewarming party, and he he passed away that evening. So it's really sad, but. What's special about it is that as I was listening to his music this week, I thought how special and incredible that someone can live on that way, you know, with just beautiful music and people losing, losing themselves in it. That's just the best way to live on. So, um, yeah, check him out. Yeah, I think he's really cool. That's beautiful, Julian. I'm actually also doing kind of a throwback. It's a new cover of an old song, What's So Funny About Peace, Love, and Understanding. This version is by Sharon Van Etten and Josh Hami, which I pause there because <laughs> he's from he's the lead singer of Queens of the Stone Age. And I, I always say Josh, I always say Josh Ohm because that's French. Again, going back to the French themes, a lot of French in today's episode. Yeah. But then I was like, I, I, I'm not sure. So I, that's how he says his name. It's Hami. So there you, there you have go. It. Yeah. But Sharon Van Etten is um, someone I'm a huge fan of. Um, her latest album, Jillian and I, like we both picked like cozy tracks off of last year. And it's just like a cute music video actually of them with their kids in their houses. Obviously this is actually shot during quarantine. And I just feel like it's a message that really resonates for today. So we can always use with another dose of what's so funny about peace, love and understanding. Let's listen now. Yeah, let's check it out. such strong voices that it's like mm. nuclear weapons going off vocally. Yeah, that's a great way <laughs> Which to is kind of a, it. of a juxtaposition over the message of the song. <laughs> I, I didn't want it to end. I found it so mem- mesmerizing and, you know, I love Sharon's voice and I, the music video was really cute too, just also because I like being in other people's homes yeah. <laughs> and getting to see, see that glimpse of it. But it's also yeah, so just peeping in. Peeping in and uh, <laughs> I think their voices are, are really comforting and beautiful and I, I i love this i'm endlessly fascinated by the way that people set design their own houses when they're shooting a video like this because obviously they shot it themselves so mm-hmm. the things that they put in the background the things that they choose to hold like i love that sharon is just like dancing with a, a glass of wine, wine the entire yeah, time for sure. while her kids like basically tear up the house behind her and then josh <laughs> 
is like more a little more somber but like it's funny that he has like a a glass of beer and a comb behind him yeah, it's just like these like little things like i just imagine like right before they set up the shot like he's like hold on let me set up the comb real quick and that's just like really cute to me <laughs> yeah I, I i think it's cute it's, it's a really nice collaboration and i'm going to finish the video for sure when we're, we're done with this it's i just couldn't stop staring at it all right so those are our soothing sounds this week Beautiful. we hope they soothe you a little bit jillian has a uh, some fresh sniffing for us with a new candle yes so thank you to Jack Smeen. Sorry if I'm pronouncing your name wrong. Uh, I really appreciate, or we really appreciate you recommending this candle company, Queer Candle Co. And I bought one right away because Queer Candles, obviously, it was a no-brainer. And this company was co-founded by a queer couple called Ab, Ab and Al. And they've been making candles together since 2017. And what's awesome about this company is that it donates 10% of its monthly earnings to the Sylvia Rivera Law Project, an organization working to guarantee that all people are free to self-determine gender identity and expression regardless of income or race and without facing harassment, discrimination, or violence. So, Excellent. yeah, so to support this company, I we purchased the sea salt and orchid soy candle. It's a calming and smooth blend of floral highlights with salty notes. It has floral notes that include orchid, lily of the valley, and jasmine. It's topped with a pink Himalayan sea salt, which is cool because every single one of their candles has a visual representation of the scent on top that's decorated with. So it had this beautiful sea salt on top of the candle. And this is a really odd way to describe the scent, but I would describe it as if it's a pink starburst, if pink starburst had a scent. No, I know that I immediately understand what you're saying and I really want to try this candle. Yeah, I was I have to be honest, I was kind of concerned when I opened it because the sweet scent was super overwhelming when I opened the box. But when I burned it, I didn't get that vibe and it it lessened and it turned into this beautiful, sweet pink starbursty scent. So it's it's for sure a wake up for me. And if you're interested in this description or this company, some other interesting scents to try that I was looking on their website that sound good, uh, sweet grapefruit and mint and an oat milk soy candle. So lots of cool scents to try. They donate to a great cause. Thank you, Jack Smeen, for recommending this company. Yeah, thank you. That sounds great. So yeah, so check out Abe and Al, Queer Candle Company. I love that each purchase goes towards a charitable donation. So definitely worth checking out. Yeah. So Jillian, it's time to get back in the kitchen and start working on another casserole. (laughs) (laughs) But before we leave you, we have some shout outs. First of all, thank you, Alonzo Duraldi, for sharing the incredible It's Cozy Here song from uh, a Rankin and Bass stop motion animation film. I had no idea it existed. No, existed, Daydreamer. but I'm so happy it does. Yeah. I need to dive into that as, as soon as possible. Um, and it was just kind of what I needed because it, I identified with it immediately because at that point when you had shared that song, obviously anything cozy in the title, I'm like immediately like, yes. Mm-hmm. And so I leaned in, but then I, I, I felt like I've been kind of in like a quarantine malaise and I just haven't been do- doing the things to often take care of myself or my surroundings like I normally do. So I identify with this idea of like basically being content with coziness of like worms and bats. And so that's how I felt about my apartment at the time. So it spoke to me. Thank you, Alonzo. And it's just a really zany, fun song. Check it out. It's on our so uh, Facebook page, our Facebook group page. 
Yes. And uh, thank you to Kate Littleton for starting a cozy thread about soups. Uh, she's trying to get me into soup mode. And thank you to everyone who submitted recipes. There's a long list of soup recipes that I want to try. And it's cool how everyone threw in their own favorite recipe. And also everyone who's sharing any recipe to the group or cool, cozy things they bought or people made for them. It's just nice to see all of that, especially now. So, Absolutely. And thank you to our patrons for your continued support. Um, we really do appreciate it. We know these are trying times and anything that you can give in this time is very appreciated. Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Um, if you're interested in joining our Patreon, we're at patreon.com slash all things cozy. You can join at any, there's no levels. It's just whatever you feel like you can uh, chip in towards continuing our show. Uh, you you know, do that. So it's totally up to you. And if you do, uh, we'll send you a, a thank you note and a little bit of cozy swag, some stickers and magnets. Also, uh, another way to support the podcast is to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. So, or any other place that you listen to our show that just helps people find the show. We really do appreciate that as well. And if you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on the air. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in your ears in the next couple of weeks with a new cozy topic. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay, stay cozy. cozy.